Hey everyone, this is the Film and Games Podcast. I'm Jennifer Javornik, where I'm uh, talking to really exciting people who I'm meeting at the Social Innovation Summit in Los Angeles, California. It's been a great two days. It's been, the energy has been on point. Um, I've been talking to a lot of people doing a lot of good in the world. I am so excited about who I'm, who I'm talking to today because we are actually in the same industry, uh, which I haven't met many people in the same industry here. So I'm excited for you guys to find out who we're talking to. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Jennifer. My name is Jeffrey Burrell, and I am Global Head of Social Impact at Riot Games. Riot? R-I. Yeah, oh, R-I-O-T. I think I may have heard of them before. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks so yeah. much for having me. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I want to hear like what your role is and what you do, uh, especially in the context of uh, just the games that Riot makes yeah. has such a huge influence in the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's start with that. Yeah, happy to. And you know, it, it's really kind of interesting because uh, social impact is is kind of like with with the role. It's very different across many industries and across even many companies. So everything that kind of me and my team do are everything from in-game charitable fundraisers, like what we've uh, supported and players have helped out with, with Ukraine, with various uh, charitable initiatives around the world, uh, all the way to esports tournaments um, and, and having those kind of like compete for charitable causes, um, to everything from uh, hosting an innovation challenge with IDEO and the Fair Play Alliance and Sesame Workshop, the Joan Gans Cooney Center, to help design uh, new ideas and solutions for digital thriving. How do we actually nudge uh, players in game and out of game to be some of the, the best selves and to be more inclusive and to help thrive? So all of that kind of falls under uh, my purview. We're also taking on sustainability now. And so looking at our entire uh, carbon footprint across all of our global operations, as well as the really fun stuff of employee engagement, community volunteerism, uh, in our, our global service month that we have every summer. How does your organization compete with the insane deadlines uh, in our business? Ah, that's actually really interesting. So all of Riot's games are actually live service games. So what that means is we, we don't have like a, a hard deadline of one game is going to launch, we know, in quarter three. We won't actually put out a game unless we're really certain it's of a high quality that players love and expect. Um, once that game is out, then it's on a regular update cadence. So rather than pushing, we have to meet this by this certain date. We have those sometimes, but really what it is is every two weeks, we'll update our games with either balance changes, new agents, new maps, uh, various sorts of forms like that. So it's a very different type of model than what you would see with an annual game that comes out, for instance. Ours are always live and thus always being updated. So when we look at for our in-game fundraisers, for example, a great example is uh, the Valorant Giveback Bundle. So what we do is we allow players to vote on which old guns they want to see kind of come back as a bundle. Uh, 50% of all of those sales will then go to uh, the Riot Games Social Impact Fund, which then get distributed to charities all around the world. But we know roughly when that's going to happen around the summertime, and then we start to work with the teams to plan those there. It's not necessarily a massive crunch of when we need to get it done, 
really then understanding, okay, when's the natural time that we can bring this to players in a way that, you know, makes them happy and, and delighted. Oh, that's cool. Okay, good. Well, we, everyone should go work at Riot because it seems more sane than a lot of <laughs> other AAA companies. Well, you know, the thing is, is like that the, the key stakeholder is also making sure that, you know, we're in it for the long-term value of players. Um, you know, it, it's not to say that we would never have a time where, you know, sometimes we have to work weekends or things like that when, when something is that we want to do it, but that is definitely not the, um, default. And, and we actually really encourage people, like, for example, in July, everyone is encouraged to just work from anywhere. Um, we're going to be trying that experiment this time where, you know, if you want to work in my home state of Montana, or uh, where my wife lives in Korea, we're encouraged to do that, um, to spend time with, with our families and with our loved ones. And then kind of everybody is doing that at the same time. So we know that there's that level of give and take, that uh, layer of grace that we can give each other to just kind of rest and recharge. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really great. So talk, tell me about like one recent initiative, like specific initiative that you've been really jazzed about. Yeah, I would say, you know, we've got uh, a few that I'm very excited about that I can't quite talk about yet. Um, but one that I, I found really interesting for last year was we entered into a partnership with, like I said, Sesame Workshop, the nonprofit behind Sesame Street, um, and specifically the Joan Gans Cooney Center, their research arm. And then we partnered with the video game alliance called the Fair Play Alliance, which is designed for... Um, you know, player dynamics uh, types of um, moderation as well as like encouragement through social design. And then the design firm IDEO. And all together, along with Riot, we hosted this digital thriving innovation challenge where we invited players and businesses and researchers from all around the world to submit ideas on what they would view on what are ideas that we could actually make digital environments more inclusive? How do we purposefully design for good in video games or digital spaces rather than just trying to remove the bad? And so that was really What were some of the ideas that came up? Yeah, some of them, you know, were... were, Is the competition still going on? It was closed uh, earlier uh, earlier this or later last year. Um, But we got, I think, uh, several hundred submissions uh, probably I can get you the exact number and so that we might need to edit this part out, but I think it was like over 140 submissions from, uh, countries all over the world. And some of the ideas were, you know, how can we start to create mental health awareness games for kids by kids on issues that they are really concerned about what they're looking for. And so how could we start to, uh, accelerate that with some prototyping and with some potential design thinking? Um, another one that we had is, uh, I'll need to look it up. Um, another one that we had was, you know, thinking about how can we start to support these digital environments through volunteerism and engagement. So you could be engaging your local community, but be part of a larger digital community, uh, with other volunteers around the world and what they're doing. So you can start to trade ideas and create communities of practice. Uh, with that. So those are some of the really great ideas. That that's great. With that. yeah. What do you guys think about um, what kind of guiding principles do you have at Riot in terms of your own commercial games about making, you know, being a responsible game developer about how to promote, you know, good behaviors and like a, a good positive experience? Yeah, well, we have uh, a whole team designed for central player dynamics, essentially. 
which are, you know, how do we incorporate the right levels of moderation, incentives, social design uh, into our games so that people are not necessarily just running into bad experiences, but are actually encouraged to collaborate together to solve common problems. Um, so, you know, we have like various uh, 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 partnerships with that. One of them was Ubisoft uh, that we had just uh, partnered with as well in terms of like no harms and comms uh, framework. Um, and that is like we're going to be sharing some technology and data and, and best practices so that we could reduce some of the negative comments that happens in games. And uh, uh, one feature that we had just uh, came out with that I'm really excited about is an auto mute function in one of them. So before someone, if someone types something very inappropriate in game, before that's even shared with every other player, it's automatically muted. And so because of that, you can actually prevent harm from happening um, before that it is. And so that's seen a significant reduction in a lot of reports that have come through with player dynamics. But then also, uh, you know, we're excited to continue to iterate on that and grow what that could actually mean across all of our games. What are you excited about right now? In the games industry, could be anything. Like what? What? It, what's exciting yeah. to you about where we are with games? I think in the games industry, if you're if you're in it, you know, which is you know that games are going to be the cornerstone of I think culture for the next several decades. I, I see just people have games at the corner of fandom. You have uh, games at the corner of learning. You have games at the corner of uh, learning, you know, esports and engagement and working with all of these people and, and your core friends. That's where people are going now to have social interaction. Have How did social we end up here? Why do you think that is? Oh, I think games are, are a form of entertainment and media, just like everything else. But the difference is, is that because it's interactive, because people can play it across boundaries, uh, across cultures you can have a deeper level of engagement with people that you couldn't before. A, a great example is, you know, I'm, I'm an old man now with a little baby, uh, but I still play games with my friends who I've been playing for decades and my brother who lives in Florida every Friday night, you know, without fail. And this night, hopefully, I'm, we're going to pick up Diablo 4. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's one of these, these ways that we can engage where being a core gamer is just, a key part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I still remember when I had to kind of hide that fact by talking about video games with my fellow geeks in the math lab at lunch. Stop laughing. But, you know, we, we had to do that. Now it's, it's, it's cool and it's open. And it's one of these things where people are, are embracing it. And it's actually defining ways that we can engage with our own cultures across, like I said, these, these boundaries uh, that other forms of media can't. Yep, I agree with all of that. I think too, there's just a sense of, um, you know, it used to be like so much of our, our my life when I was young was was going to find information from a teacher, from a parent, from a library, and now all that time that was spent just seeking information is now at your fingertips. Yeah. So it's clear to me that the next evolution is well, getting the information is inconsequential now. So now I want to do something. Yes. I want to do an experiment and learn through doing because I can literally know anything I want with a few Googles. Exactly. And it allows for creative expression. Yeah. Right. It allows for 
critical problem solving in ways that you're like, I know I need this, say, door to open. Okay, how am I going to do that? How do I want the door to open? What does that actually mean towards whatever vision that I have? These are more than just route skills. This is using critical thinking and, and the actual skills needed for the future economy through creating games, through play, through experimentation. For sure. Um, okay, I'm gonna the next question I'm gonna say with love because I uh, because I'm part of it and I love this industry. But what are we doing wrong in the games industry? Where are our areas of improvement? Uh, that's a good question, and I think you know let me let me think on this for a little bit. One of the things that we definitely need to get better on, and that we've been a little bit behind, uh, I think across the entire games industry, is allowing for more inclusive uh, communities, not only within our games but then within our companies. Yep. Um, very clearly, you know, the, the need is there, the, the creation of more on-ramps, more opportunities, and, and more tools for young people, and especially those who are not represented in the industry, to gain the skills, to see a place for them, to understand that, hey, if you're into this, you can have a job and a great career in this field as well. And it doesn't have to be just through games. It could be through music and composition. You know, God help you if you want to go into a social impact. Um, but those are great jobs as well. You could be in accounting and marketing. There's like many different pathways into an industry that they would love. Mm-hmm. So we need to be much better at sharing those stories of sharing how people can get into positions at companies that they love. And I would also say that that also needs to be reflected in the products that we create. Of course. You yeah. know, not only in terms of like the characters and their backgrounds but also in a lot of the storytelling and a lot of the ways that we can naturally and authentically raise awareness for issues, not only in terms of like, you know, gender equality and um, diversity, but then also on areas of sustainability Um, ways that we can kind of like foster more healthy in, in online communities as well, as well as in the real world. I think that's one of the powerful mediums that games can have and definitely something that I think we could step up on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think for a lot of people, like at least, I think most people are aware of it and there's just, we've just encountered so many people at this conference who are like actively trying to change the composition and um, are being, you know, supported with grants and efforts from big players to make this happen. So it's really going to be fun to watch how that all plays out over the next little while. So one question I have for you is, so you're clearly in AAA games. I know you've intersected because of your role in CSR, you've inter intersected with the serious games, games for good community. Mm-hmm. I would love, and a lot of our listeners are also in uh, games for positive impact. Mm-hmm. So I would love your hot take on when you, from your perspective, look at our part of the industry. Um, what are we doing well and where are we missing out? Oh, interesting. I, you know, what's, what's fascinating to me about, um, games for good and serious games and this 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 genre of of education are that's where i really see some of the most innovation i see some of the most innovation using games like we were talking about of this medium to create behavioral nudges to think about uh what actions people could take differently to share awareness onto critical issues uh i i see the most innovation with that because there's more freedom Yep. There's more understanding of I'm going to use this for a specific hypothesis. And that is, is really encouraging to me. One area, though, that I, I routinely draw questions when, when folks kind of come to me or ask for feedback are 
who are you trying to hit and how. And so sometimes I see just amazing games and amazing products, but there's no then what. So, you know, everything that we create in this world isn't just made in a vacuum. It has to go to people who need to use it, not those who want to just simply self-select. So what I would really encourage is to think about, okay, what's our distribution path? How do we get this to people who might not necessarily be completely aware of it, but are on the fringe and that we could actually make some serious social change with? So it's a difference between, you know, me putting something out there that uh, is already going to attract those who are already interested in it versus I'm needing to get those people on the fringes to see this point, to make this behavioral change. How do I get to them? And I see that step as absolutely critical to success for serious uh, games and for some of these these behavioral changes. That's a good point. We think a lot. So for, you know, Filament makes all kinds of games. We make games for textbook publishers that roll it into like a K-12 science program. We make games for nonprofit. We make a lot of kinds of games. But kind of aspirationally, a model that we're kind of looking at and trying to hit is how we've seen the last few years, how, how just some documentaries on Netflix do have so much commercial appeal and are consumed by people who are not part of the field. So for example, um, the one that comes to mind, I can't think of the name about the octopus friend or my octopus teacher oh, yeah, yeah. was like, so literally it's about like octopus, <laughs> an octopus in the ocean and kind of a diver. Like that's not part of most people's experience, but then it's just fascinating mm-hmm. to watch. I think because it has such a strong story and mm-hmm. has so much strong emotional content to go in addition to kind of this message about, you know, our oceans and our planet. So Exactly. I think that's, but a lot of times to kind of hit that level of commercial appeal, you need commercial size budgets. Yeah. Well, yes and no. You know, mm. you're right in that you need sometimes, and there, there's, you know, history is littered with these examples of really flashy, well-produced types of, of media that, that capture people's attentions and moves hearts and minds. Um, but what we're also finding, especially in games, are sometimes that fidelity isn't necessarily needed anymore. That is true. You know, where you can have games that their style is specifically, you know, 8-bit, block, you know, sort of lower efforts and, and all of those. I think, you know, what, what you're hitting on, though, is understanding what big blockbuster types of, of companies understand is, you know, what is the, what is the journey? What is the journey of the player or the user? And then what do I want them to do? So then once you understand that, you can create an amazing product. And then how do you get that to be adopted by people or share some of that word of mouth for that next sort of phase of growth? I think that's that's where I, games are now that I think can do a really positive job. Because, yeah, you could have something on Netflix, but once that moment in the sun is gone, you know, how many people are going to go back to viewing something like that before the next thing kind of comes up versus games? you can continue to iterate on and push and, and send those messages out. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think we, yeah, we're, we're kind of experimenting with it. I think the other thing is that happens, especially when we're making games for, um, let's say, everyone up to 30, 40, mm-hmm. where they have just a real strong understanding of commercial games. Oh. 
there's just a, the great news is we can rely on a certain level of digital literacy yes. when we're kind of designing for an educational game. Because we can kind of assume that by a certain age, most kids have played on a tablet or, yeah. uh, but kind of where it falls out sometimes is what people are playing in their personal life yeah. are, you know, games with billion dollar budgets so that it's it's sometimes challenging to create an experience that is as compelling mm-hmm. so I think this this I mean kind of the the stretch goal is to be able to create a game that people will organically want to play because it's interesting and challenging yeah. but I would argue you kind of have to maybe not get to millions of dollars of budget but at least a play experience that is as satisfying as what they're playing for fun I would say that, you know, it really does come down to what we call, you know, internally, like finding the fun, Mm. you know, like what is, what is the fun of this, um, activity? And, you know, one of the things that we've done is we've actually put out a free curriculum for any high school teacher, um, that is easily printable. It's it's called Earth Academy. You can find it online, URF Academy. Um, and it's for, for really any teacher, but it's, it's essentially a free module to teach game design to anybody. Oh, that's so cool. And so one of the things is, is it's not necessarily needing any sort of technology, uh, to do it. You just need essentially an internet and a printer and you print off these, um, you know, paper modules and and all of that, but it's to teach kids the fundamentals of finding essentially seven kinds of fun. Do you want something that's a little bit competitive? Do you want something that's more narrative-based? Do you want something that is more about like exploration and creativity? There's a lot of different reasons why people play games, but they all kind of fall down into about similar types of prototypes, you know, about similar types of, of themes. So then when you're thinking about these, you know, serious games, yes, you can't compete against maybe huge budgets. Right. But finding that hook, finding what are those game design you know, themes that I want to get across, you can make an amazing game that is maybe five hours long yep. and just completely changes people's minds and perspectives. For sure. I love that because one thing I learned about you last night is that we have something in common. We are both raised by teachers. How do you think that's affected you and your career? Oh, I, you know, <laughs> I think that it was really weird for my parents when I decided to enter into the business sphere. Uh, my brother was also a teacher. He's older. And so when I said I was going into business, it was really awkward at Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, but I, overall, it's, it's gotten really well because I've seen how hard my teachers work or how hard my parents work to meet kids where they're at. And I see this through teachers all the time where they know where they want their students to get to. They know where the end result is and, and where they want them to get to. But every kid is different. And so you got to meet them where they are and encourage them through different methods to get them to where they want to be. A shark can't climb a tree very well. Right. You know, a monkey can swim sort of okay, but you can't ask a snake to fly. So how do you work with each individual one to kind of get them to find what they're best at and where they're wanting to go? And that's really a, a methodology that we try to take to our work is not just saying, here is our ideal scenario. How do we get people there? But really meeting people where they are and, and what matters to them. And so, you know, one great example of that is 
when we really reach out to our players, we understand that what matters to players in Brazil is really different than those here in Los Angeles, really different than those in Turkey versus Korea. So how can we naturally and authentically meet them there on issues that they personally care about? And not just necessarily be, we care about this as a company and we're going to push it out to everybody, but really start to say, what matters to you? Then what can we do together to achieve those goals? I like it. What do you think is going to, what do you think the future of Riot is? Where do you think, like, I'm sure you could say one year, two years, but where do you think you guys will be in like five, 10 years? Oh, you know, I, I would hope uh, that we'd have some of our R&D games uh, out um, and in the hands of players. I've, I've gotten a chance to play some of those, and they're quite fun. Um, but, but really what I would want Riot to be would be the company that um, overserves players. I would want Riot to be the kind of company that through our products and our actions and where and how we show up in the world is really about you know our players and our community it is it is through them that we are successful and it is through them who we serve is that something that's talked about at riot as being a common wish all the time i mean it might not be necessarily those those exact words it's it's you know we, we definitely aspire to be the most player focused company in the world but that definitely stretches both in and out of the game you know and and uh, I would love to see Riot continue to expand out, especially in ways of uh, esports and entertainment. You know, games are always going to be at our core. Games are just like the absolute foundation of everything that we do. But what we're finding is that um, fandom extends far beyond that, it extends far beyond the game. And so, you know, especially as, as players get to different stages in their lives, like I said, I'm, I'm a new dad now. I, I, I don't have that much time to play games. I can't pause as much as I would want to. But it allows me to also engage uh, still with other forms of, of the entertainment, like watching esports tournaments or you know new Netflix shows and, and things like that. So I would love to see Riot kind of keep pursuing this idea of hyper-serving fans wherever they are and however they are. And so regardless of the medium, regardless of the device that people use, going to where players are to just bring them joy and delight them like personally. And, and I, I don't speak for riot on this, but uh, I would love, I would love for us to bring joy to a billion players. Cause if we do that, that, that in of itself is a noble goal. I think the world needs joy. It, it's a lot. It's really hard <laughs> out there for a lot of folks. And, you know, I've, I found games are one of those things that just bring me joy allows me to connect to others, um, allows me to connect to my family and, and people across um, countries. And so if we're able to do that with a billion players, that, that's something that's a noble goal. And, and I want to see that happen. I feel if any organization can do it, it's yours. So I wish that Very too. Kind of you. Thank yeah. You. Well, thanks so much with, for chatting with me today. It's been a pleasure. Jennifer, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what's happening at our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to visit us at our website, filamentgames.com.